the live element is how our music frankly gets out into the world we can promote using like hey you know what pre-save maybe you get guest lists or a meet and greet or you know getting a snap of you, know, of you playing that song and everyone's like what's that idea who's what's Ari playing and then it's like you can go buy it here on dirty bird so that's that's kind of the economics of it in terms of how the live is we're the only genre that actually needs that still have downloads right. i haven't <laughs> talked about downloads on this this show has been running for three years i've had 150 episodes this is the first time we've spent <laughs> this much time on downloads so, like... <laughs> what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book Third edition is out everywhere on audio, ebook, hardcover, however you get books, however you like to consume your books, it is out. Today, my guests are Sam Shiara of Higher Ground and Mad Decent. He's uh, head of AR and brand director at these record labels. These are uh, at the dance music label. Uh, kind of in the electronic realm, and we talk all about that. Higher Ground is an imprint of Mad Decent, and Mad Decent, of course, was founded by Diplo, and Higher Ground and Mad Decent, and and Sam has three Grammy nominations, uh, multiple U.S. dance radio number ones, Billboard, Beatport, and official chart-topping singles. Um, He's worked on over 100 releases from, yes, Diplo and Paul Wolford, DJ Tennis, Damien Lazarus, Jaded, Carlita, just to name a few. And Darren Delgado, he is uh, of Dirty Bird Records, another electronic label, uh, dance label. Dirty Bird was actually named uh, 2017's Label of the Decade by Mix Mag. And Darren has, has worn many hats over his 20 years in the industry. The Dirty Bird record label was started by Claude Von Stroke, the artist, in 2005. And so it's been around quite a while as well. But both of these labels are indie labels, indie dance labels, indie electronic labels, however you want to call it. And if you've been following me for a while and listening to the show, this is, I, I'm not an expert in the dance realm or the electronic music realm. I don't even know how to talk about it, really. Uh, so this interview is, is me stumbling through that. If you are an expert in the dance uh, music realm, or you are a dance artist or producer, electronic artist or producer, uh, I know there's a gazillion subgenres. I'm not even going to pretend to start to name a few of them, but the, but they name a bunch of them. Uh, you're going to enjoy this episode, too, because uh, we break down record deals and how their labels work and how they sign new producers and artists. I, at one point, asked them how they generate revenue. We talked about downloads, believe it or not, and uh, you'll you'll hear why downloads are important in this realm and into their business model and to these record labels, but also how dance labels function function very differently from indie labels of every other genre and, and of course, uh, function very differently from major labels of every other genre. We discuss marketing techniques, A&R, what they look for in new producers that they're thinking of signing, how artists and producers can go about getting record deals, can go about building their careers, and just the business model overall of the dance music realm. No matter what style of music you listen to, or or rather I should say probably create or make or work in, this is a very fascinating episode. I, I would encourage everyone to listen to this. I learned a ton. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts about doing this show, this podcast, is I get to learn. You're hearing me learn in real time. And, and you know, the the only reason I'm able to write the book is because I do interviews like this. And I'm, I'm absolutely going to have new pages in the next edition of the book, which won't be coming out for a few years. But because of this conversation and every other conversation that I'm having on this. So you're kind of hearing this in real time as I learn it and you can learn it. You can find Higher Ground, the label, on Instagram. Of course, Mad Decent as well. You can find them on Instagram. Um, You can find Dirty Bird uh, on their website, on Instagram. You can find the labels. uh, They they have Spotify profiles and playlists as well. Uh, You can find all of us at the Make Show Happen at Ari's Take on Instagram, TikTok, Threads. Yes, we are on Threads now, and Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Ari Herstand on Instagram and Threads. Uh, I'm still on Twitter, too. 
but I normally just tweet about Dodgers stuff. So if you're not really into the Dodgers or into baseball, then <laughs> there's no real reason to probably find me on Twitter. But anyway, visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on the email list. That is where the most important information we send out about everything about the new music business, new podcast episodes, everything like that. Ari'sTake.com. Get on the email list. But right now, just pause, pause the episode real quick. Hit the follow button. Hit the subscribe button. However you're listening to this, subscribe, follow. Leave us a five-star review on Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Uh, live, give us a, a thumbs up on YouTube. However you're listening to this, give us a comment over there. Uh, that really helps. I, I really love uh, seeing the comments and uh, the reviews and all that kind of stuff. All right. Well, let's kick into the show. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com oh. darren delgado sam shiara what's going on welcome to the show what's up Ari? yo yo thanks for having us yeah yeah so um this is an interesting um conversation that we're about to have and i'm i'm excited uh for it because uh the two of you work at different labels. Uh, I know you've had experience with with distribution companies as well. I want to kind of dig into, um, first off, just to just to lay the foundation for people listening. Who are you? What do you do? I know you wear multiple hats and all of this stuff. But like, for the purposes of this conversation, like, talk to me about, you know, who you are, what you do, what your current role is, and just kind of your day to day. So we have this solid foundation. And then we're going to start to go uh, into the weeds of everything. But Darren, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, the label manager for Dirty Bird. Um, been running the label for going nearly ten years now, um, and yeah, but that's kind of basically executing the vision of you know the the, the brand and kind of in terms of releases, release strategy, leading our marketing teams, our PR teams, kind of you know signing artists, doing the contract negotiations, kind of everything that goes on behind the scenes from when you um we want to sign a record to when you put it out to when you pay the royalties to when you license it so cool it's kind of the wizard behind the curtain that you don't really <laughs> see on stage <laughs> cool cool great and sam yeah so um i actually come more from the a and r side of things uh i've been an a and r for diplo for the last six years um for him personally and also at his label, Mad Decent. Um, about three, three and a half years ago, we started a new imprint called Higher Ground, which is a bit more focused um, within the house and techno market. Uh, and I've been running A&R for the imprint ever since. Um, and about a year ago, I took over as the head of A&R and also the brand director for the imprint. So I look after not only everything from a recorded music standpoint and an A&R standpoint, but also when it comes to the creative of the label, the marketing of the label, curating all of the live experiences that we do, um, mm -hmm. looking after activations. Um, but generally, like I still am an artist focused guy and I work really closely with all of our, our artists directly on their recorded music um, and really anything having to do with that process. Cool. Um, and just uh, for the record, both uh, Dirty Bird and Higher Ground uh, via Mad Decent, indie labels, right? There's there's no major label affiliation? Correct. Okay, because mm -hmm. I did see on Spotify that Mad Decent is distributed via Columbia or is like there's like some licensing via Columbia Records. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so uh, for for Wes, for Diplo, um, yeah. he has kind of a unique situation being mm. one of the biggest producers and biggest, you know, recorded music artists in the right. world. So he has a separate agreement with Columbia in which we work directly with them on particularly his biggest like pop oriented records, major laser stuff. He Got also it. has a country project that goes through Columbia. So that's kind of a separate like more Diplo Okay. um self-oriented thing but when it comes to mad decent as a whole we're fully you know in-house self-distributed 
um, and we are fully independent, um, you know, 100%. When you say self-distributed, uh, you're not using an intermediate distributor like a Fuga or something like that. You're, you've literally struck all, Mad Decent has an in-house distribution department that has struck all the deals with the DSPs? Correct. Yep. We have direct relationships with Apple, with Spotify, with all the mm -hmm. other DSPs, especially within the dance music landscape. We have, you know, relationships with Beatport and all the, you know, DJ oriented mm -hmm. platforms. So we have relationships with all the editors and uh, all the uh, and from an operational standpoint, we work directly with them to, you know, deliver all of our music. And what about Dirty Bird? On distribution. Yeah, well, we we actually so we kind of use a distributor for the first. I mean, we got we started in two thousand five. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I we up until actually last year, which we actually got acquired by Empire, which is a right. big uh, independent um, label, um, mm -hmm. but they kind of do some self distribution services and artist services. Mm -hmm. um, so the and they're really big in the hip hop space. I mean, from right. you know like Tyga to Anderson Pack to Kendrick Lamar, um, and so we kind of had a long connection with them. Um, they kind of wanted to launch basically a dance division. Um, mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where you don't, <clears throat> you know, especially in the music space. And I think dance in particular, you can't just say, all right, we're, we're doing dance now. Right. Like I think yeah. it you know, has to be from a genuine place. And I think that's kind of where the strategic, like, okay, you know what, let's get someone like dirty bird who has like, you know, you know, real foundation and, and, you know, in, you know, inspiring in the space yeah. uh, to kind of be as like the tent pole for launching the empire dance brand. So um, we, that means that, you know, we've now been all under here. Um, all our staff came over, you know, all our label or publishing, everything like that, but we're kind of using the power of the empire, you know, machine essentially, which Got it. is similar to the way, uh, you know, like Sam was saying, where, you know, empire has the direct, deals and contacts with, you know, Spotify, Beatport, everything like that. So sure. that now essentially we've, we've taken out that third party distributor now and everything is run through this, you know, through the empire machine where basically now we are integrated within them. Cool. And, uh, you know, there, I've no, I've seen, you know, crossover. There is at least on kind of the ethos side of, of kind of hip hop and dance, the crossover, like the DIY ethos from the very beginning and just kind of this, this, um, indie ethos um and so you know whereas kind of maybe culturally or musically can be quite different realms but like i've always you know and, and i know the kind of the dirty bird um you know foundation started by an artist uh you know diying it up in the bay area and everything like that and just kind of growing that organically do you have you noticed the kind of that ethos has maintained Oh yeah, hundred percent. And it, you know, it's kind of permeated throughout. I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely been a really good culture meld here. Um, you know, I think it is very fundamentally different, though. I mean, like dance and electronic music. I mean, we tend to be more label based, right? And you know, obviously, other genres tend to be more artist based. And I think sure. we're probably actually one of the lucky genres where actually downloads still matter because DJs need to actually purchase downloads and huh. so they need to shop on beat before their DJ sets. So, um, you know, so some, there are some other different priorities that we would have where a lot of hip hop and, you know, pop and R&B mm -hmm. stuff, they're just all about streaming or videos or monetization. But I think, you know, there's, that's being said, it's lots of different ways that we're kind of helping each other to kind of leverage each other and each other's visions for it that maybe wasn't seen on the yeah. other side because you kind of get, you know, tunnel vision a bit on your genre, but now seeing, Hey, well, these guys are doing it this way. Mm. For example, you know, I know, especially again with electronic music, it's very events focused, right? Like I know, like Sam, you guys just did your higher ground, your yeah. festival here in the city and dirty bird. We started as a free party in the park, you know, and I think a lot of electronic music is done that way. And so, mm -hmm. We're seeing even some of the, you know, hip hop and others, they're starting their own like event brand, mm -hmm. whether it be from like Pharrell's thing to, you know, Tyler, the creator thing, where it's like, you know, instead of just being an act on like Rolling Loud or Coachella, mm -hmm. you're starting to get like, hey, you know what, these events actually to showcase that music is becoming part of a thing that, you know, for us, it's ingrained in us like, hey, we need this music is meant to be played at a party, not wow. so much played at a, on the radio. Right. So. Right. Can you explain a little bit more when you said uh, more label focused versus artist focused? What does that mean? 
Well, like try searching "Higher Ground" or "Dirty Bird" on Spotify, right? Like yeah. it's nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you can search Diplo and you can search Claude Bon Stroke, and you know all that is. But right. if you're a DJ, you want to play this music, you go to Beatport or Juno or wherever, and you search mm. "Dirty Bird," you search "Higher Ground," and you look at that catalog. Um, so I, and then as a DJ, um, you know, be one for thirty years or whatever. But now I kind of. I don't make everyone else famous. Don't really do it myself anymore. But, you know, it's like one of those things where it's always like, oh, you know, what? I love, you know, this Dirty Bird, Dirty Bird label. I'm going to follow the label. And mm. it comes from that sense rather than it's the dirty. The label is the tastemaker rather than I think in most other genres, the artist is that focus, you know. Right. And um, Sam, how do you find that um, higher ground has kind of um i i guess gone in on on with that um perspective and and just kind of taken that label focus and, and started to build an audience around the label uh because of course higher ground i'm assuming has artists signed to the label and and how do you balance that where it's like okay we're promoting the label we're promoting this, this festival we're promoting kind of you know all of this along with promoting artists or singles or what's the philosophy there with how this works yeah i mean it's been it's definitely something that we're always thinking about i think it's been you know i, I think for higher ground specifically um you know it's been definitely a challenge for us because we our whole basically mad decent comes from this kind of ethos originally where it was all about highlighting a wide range of genre styles that are rooted in, in the underground world and kind of making them commercially viable and making them make sense. And, and, you know, we have like a longstanding history with that, with the mad decent, you know, history as a label, but also the history of the mad decent block parties. And, you know, I think like dirty bird or one of these, like, you know, early kind of brands who kind of emerged within the explosion of, you know, house music, dance music, EDM, whatever you want to call it, you know, mm -hmm. within the US over the last, you know, 10 to 20 years, um, you know, it's kind of like these tastemakers, um, but also kind of these community like hubs through the events, but also through the labels. So, I mean, the good news is we kind of had, you know, like experience doing that. I think the challenge was, you know, especially within house music and techno music, you know, I think that there's been a long history of, you know, like Darren was saying, these very, these, these tastemaker labels that I think became very homo homogenous in their sound and, and in their mm -hmm. branding and in the artists that they worked with. And I think, you know, pre-pandemic, that was just the norm, you know, you mm -hmm. went to, you know, uh, Repopulate Mars party, or you went to, you know, something Jamie Jones did or whatever, and you knew exactly what you were going to get exactly what the music was going to sound like. I know Dirty Bird had kind of a period, you know, where it was kind of like that as well, you know? Um, and then I think, you know, the pandemic hit and that was kind of where we realized, okay, you know, how do we, you know, break this down, this, this homogenousness that's kind of like permeated all of these, you know, labels within dance music and how do we apply it? How do we apply like kind of a diverse, multifaceted, you know, very like genre fluid, kind of like perspective on it, but still make it mm. work as like a brand, you know? Mm. So one of the ways we did that was kind of this unified creative aesthetic, um, you know, working across tech house, across melodic house, across vocal house, you know, big room, whatever it is, you know, all tied together through this kind of unified vibe, this unified look has really helped kind of create a solid brand identity, but also tie things together so that they kind of make sense. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, as time progresses and the label evolves and the community evolves and the music evolves, you have to kind of continue to, you know, as, as a company and as a brand also evolve along with that and find creative ways to like, you know, make that stay cohesive and, and still like make sense to an audience when you're releasing a wide range of music. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, this is, um, it's helpful. I, you know, I full disclosure, like I'm not from the the dance scene, the electronic music scene. I know very little about it. Uh, I've like I grew up, you know, I was a touring singer songwriter for many years. I grew up in the jam world. Uh, I'm now front of 1970s funk soul project like I and I manage a rock artist like I know very, very, very <laughs> little about, you know, your world right now. So this is like <laughs> super fascinating, but this is like really uh, enlightening and educational for me. So like, you know, and obviously I know a lot about the music business as kind of a whole and whatever, but like, I'm curious of the business model 
of uh, your two labels when, you know, Darren, I'm fixating on this, like we're downloads are still relevant for us. Can you just <laughs> right. explain what the business model is? Cause I was also looking around Spotify, which I would like normally do when I was investigating right, right. artists. I'm like, wow, the streaming numbers are pretty like modest for some mm -hmm. of like the biggest artists on your labels or whatever. So I'm just like, yeah. well, how do your labels make money and what is the business model? Here? <laughs> well, you know, and it's, it's, um, I mean, for a long time, right. I mean, it was very, it was vinyl focused, right. I mean, that's even mm. dirty. We were all put it on vinyl. Um, sure. and, and the, you know, obviously for the DJs, like we made music for DJs. It was never played in radios. That was it. It was like, DJs I mean, even for the for like clubs, like you're talking yeah, about like, like DJs. You know, I, I made a record and I want yeah. Diplo to go play it at, the club or the festival or whatever that's like that's a, yeah. it. that was the okay. limit right of it Got there it. wasn't really anything more than that i mean you made a maybe a couple thousand in the, at the time um and then you know then kind of the download digital downloads kind of came before the streaming right and i think that's when you saw the you know the beatport and those kind of things that kind of really flourished and that was their heyday because then you had all these djs that now were able to download it, able, excuse me, able to download and, you know, stream. And they had the Pioneer came out with the CDJ 100, which was the small silver one that had the pitch control. And that was kind of the game changer mm. in our world, because now we can now control mixed records, like a, like a vinyl, like a tech. Can you explain control. what that is, what you just said? What came out with what? Is this a piece of technology? Well, what are I we mean, talking so about here? Like yes. DJs, you know, DJs, <laughs> DJs use a record, you know, of, of techniques, turntable, right? To, yep. to mix and they need to adjust the pitch to mix the records. Yep. Right? It's yep. very creative like that. Um, and before there was never a piece of equipment that did that. And Pioneer, which now is kind of the industry standard. If you go to every club or festival for a DJ, you have Pioneer CD mixer, DD, TDJs and mixers there. That's it. But they kind of... They came out with this, it was called the CDJ100. It was a small silver box CD player that had a pitch control that felt like a record player. Okay. Where you could control the speed and tempo and mix your records. Got it. Like a vinyl player. And that's kind of opened the door to Beatport and all these other digital download stores. And that's that's kind of where the downloads came in. And then it was, and you know, now with streaming, it's, you know, it's kind of runs on another track, which is more of like the fans. So it's, I always say like, you know, the analogy I always use, you go to a club, there's a thousand people there. Mm -hmm. There's probably only a hundred people that are actually buying their music on downloads. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other 900 are there to like pay the entry fee, buying the t-shirts, buying the drinks or whatever. So us as like dance labels, we really have to market to two different tracks. Like we have to market to DJs by sending out promos, getting the download stores, making sure that um, marketing track of service, but then we also have the fans, the people that are paying fifty dollars to go to the festival and you yeah. know buying twenty dollars for the T-shirt. They're not; they still don't want a download. They're not going to go to Beatport and pay two dollars. They right. want to stream or Pandora or watch the videos or whatever. So for us, it's like we have these two distinct tracks that you know they kind of intermingle, but we we kind of have to market them individually because they you know that's it's just two different groups, frankly. So mm -hmm. when you're marketing, um, you know, the live events or the merch, what, is it is it safe to assume that most of the deals that you have with your artists are 360 deals? No. No. So so I still don't understand if you're marketing, like, are, are you making money on, like, when a, one of your artists plays a club or something like that, if you're not doing it, if you don't have a 360 deal and you're not taking revenue from live or from merch or from whatever, is it, are you acting as a promoter? And then are you putting on festivals and these shows that your artists perform? So it's like when the, when the artists are performing in clubs, is that, is that like a dirty bird night that is, you are essentially the promoter of this, or I've still, I guess I'm missing that fan <laughs> component of how you're still yeah, making yeah. money. Well, it's structured a bit differently, right? Like, okay. so for example, we have, uh, it's called our Dirty Bird Players Tour that's going on right now where Dirty Bird, the brand, we have like Claude Von Stroke and then other younger artists are going out and they're doing shows around the country, whatever, booking that. that but the promoter at the club, they pay the artists their booking fees, which we don't take, but we get a branding fee for using Dirty Bird. Then there's us where Dirty Bird, we throw a festival like Dirty Bird Camp Out or that's our own that we self do it, uh, do everything ourselves where we actually are putting on the show. Um, but in dance, you know, there isn't really a thing like, okay, I'm going to sign Ari to a song to you and now 
I'm going to take every money, a bit of your every gig that you have. Okay. Like that doesn't fit. But you go out and you play, you get paid by the promoter on your own. We don't take any money, but then maybe you're playing your record. We can promote using like, hey, you know what? Pre-save, maybe you get guest list or a meet and greet or, you know, getting a snap mm. of you, know, you playing that song. And everyone's like, what's the idea? Who's what's Ari playing? And then it's like, you can go buy it here on Dirty Bird. So that's that's kind of the economics of it in terms of how the live is but that's how the live element is how our music frankly gets out into the world right um, mm -hmm. well that's i mean yeah. that's true uh, across a lot of genres is like a lot you know the live component really can promote the or the the almost the, the music is like somewhat seen as like the loss leader to the live show oftentimes and stuff like that but i'm i'm curious i guess for both of you guys uh if you were to create a pie chart of your revenue and you were to like say you know uh, X percent comes from streaming, X percent comes from downloads, X percent comes from these, you didn't like these live events that you're promoting or producing or whatever you want, brand affiliation, whatever you want to call that thing. Like, where is the revenue for the label? Where's like, what does that pie chart look like? I would say like a significant portion of it comes from streaming you know okay. i mean i think we're still i think you know obviously that's like a massive you know revenue sure. stream for everyone that's making music and releasing music right now i think you know darren's right on the money with the download you know thing um i think a significant portion is coming from downloads you know you and i think it's that, more or less stream is it is it pretty equal and, and just, just, like, to, just to chime in there, i mean yeah, yeah we have downloads but it still doesn't make up for the amount of streams like streaming still agree, streaming agree. Agree. okay yeah. the i would not say that's that downloads account for more than no. streaming but we still we're the only genre that actually needs that still have downloads right. i haven't <laughs> talked about downloads on this this show has been running for three years i've had 150 episodes this is the first time we've spent <laughs> this much time on downloads so, like, i just want to say this is called the new music business Business and I can't believe that we're spending five minutes on downloads right now. This is blowing my mind. So keep going. <laughs> well, I mean, I think just echoing what Darren was saying, you know, I like, I can't emphasize it enough, but like, this is an entire like ecosystem that's built yeah. upon the live thing. You know, I think what you were talking about before Ari is on the money, but at the same time, like, you know, I think that what separates dance music from every other genre is that it's literally music that's made to be heard and experienced live. Like, it's mm -hmm. actually like you're creating it from that, like, perspective, you know? So mm -hmm. it's not just that you're, you know, you have a band and you're making music and then you're performing it and then, oh, you start touring and it's, oh, it's kind of taking off touring wise. And then that's kind of like, you know, leading the streams, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, that happens. And that's amazing when that happens. But if you're making dance music and you're producing dance music, you're thinking about how it's going to sound in front of a crowd, you know? Mm -hmm. So that kind of informs like the entire process of marketing, you know, this music and getting it out there and, you know, organically, like there's all this organic marketing that happens within, you know, 1001 track lists and like, you know, like seeding out like this whole like DJ promo, like culture. I mean, there's whole businesses that friends of ours, you know, run that are literally like, you know, all about getting music out to DJs, you know? So it's, it's, it's about like basically making sure that people are playing your music. And then if people are hearing your music, when they're out, they want to stream it, you know? Mm. So that that's kind of this whole like ecosystem that I think is just really important to note because everything kind of is on top of that. You know, it's like a fundamental thing. Can you, and I just, oh, oh, yeah, go ahead, Darren. Well, just to kind of compliment that, like the label, obviously, you know, label makes money from, you know, the downloads and streaming and neighboring rights. Cause we're getting played in the clubs and stuff like that. And, you know, publishing, we have our publishing side of things and, you know, syncs and whatever, but you know, speaking from an artist perspective, right? Like if you're a producer or you tend to be a DJ and it's one of those things where it's kind of hard now, before you used to be able to DJ without any records, like you just play records. And now it's kind of hard to break through to get those gigs at the big festivals and the shows without having big tracks from your producer. But it's very, very hard to make a living just from making those tracks, but it's very easy to make money on the, DJ fees because they're crazy, right? So mm -hmm. that's kind of how that ecosystem works. You're kind of in your bedroom making a song, hoping that it goes big, not so that you can get money, but hoping that you can get big so that you can go play a club and a show and a festival so you can actually get those big DJ fees. And, mm -hmm. you know, like 
I'm sure as you as the band of touring, it's much different when you have five people, instruments, all the stuff. And like, right. you know, DJ can take the USB stick and a bag of headphones and fly anywhere in the world. Right. So mm-hmm. we're, that means that they're able to accept, you know, they'll, some DJs, I'm like, close prime example, they'll do like five gigs in like two days, right? And Claude, yeah. same thing. It's like, you know, they'll, 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 they can be all over, but as a band, that's a very challenging thing to do logistically. Right. Um, so that's kind of how that works kind of hand in hand where, you know, the label isn't really making money from the vents. We're making a lot of money on all these other verticals, but the artists are making money from those gigs because they want to be on a, a dirty bird or a higher ground because that's going to raise their profile. And a mm-hmm. club promoter is going to be like, oh, this artist was on one of these labels. He already has a fan base. This label has a fan base. I'm going to book him to play in my club yeah. and pay him that DJ, which is I probably you. more than he'll make I want to talk a few about a few of these uh, revenue verticals that you're discussing. You mentioned neighboring rights. Now, we don't have neighboring rights in the U.S. Um, The closest thing we have to neighboring rights in the U.S. is sound exchange. And that's just from digital. uh, That's just from digital radio, essentially, like Sirius XM, Pandora, iHeart. So neighboring rights specifically, that's just outside of the U.S., right? When and just to explain what this is and correct me if I'm wrong, if this operates differently, um, neighboring rights it's essentially performance royalties for the master side so for the the master sound recording when that recording is uh, either played on the radio or in the club um you know the label and the artists are going to generate some performance royalties for that master and that's what's called neighboring rights and it's really just outside the u.s is that correct yeah i mean non-interactive streams exactly what it is interactive streams that's why pandora is not interactive. The minute you go premium Pandora, that's why you saw the things where they had to get the direct deals because then it becomes mm. interactive stream. Right. So it's non-interactive stream. So, you know, for example, all these clubs or whatever, like, you know, events that we do at these clubs, they have to have, you know, pay the PROs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a statutory rate. Um, and yeah, then they, they, they kind of base it on that. I mean, there's a lot of we can go deep down the rabbit hole of kind of <laughs> they're supposed to submit track lists and you know the people but these the, are just the records that are actually getting played in those clubs aren't necessarily yeah. being paid out to those people but you know it gets trickled down pro rata based on the people that do report right real quick i want to let you know about two lost two lost is a new distribution company to the space and let me tell you i am very impressed with them i i got a full deep dive demo with the founder and yeah they're very innovative and when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is you better be innovative and they are yes they will get your music out to spotify apple music all the places plus 450 other outlets around the world they do not take a commission This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them they've already distributed 7 million songs they offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, This is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of Everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register you with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue, uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. 
check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. So, so well, well I, I do want to hit on this for a second. So are you seeing this revenue stream from US clubs as well? Yeah, through Sound Exchange. Exactly. Yeah. So Sound Exchange is tracking uh live performances in clubs. I thought it was only non-interactive streams in the US. Well, technically a play in a club or restaurant is a non-interactive stream, right? Because it's still playing. You can't forward or reverse or anything. So if you open a venue, a restaurant or a club, and you want to play music in it, you have to go pay that statutory rate. Um, and so that's anywhere in the world. Um, so that's where that non-interactive stream comes in. It's okay. a set rate depending on the, the capacity of your venue. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, you're supposed to submit tr- playlists of like, Hey, this is all the tracks that were played. So you can properly report, you know, yeah. there's technology that exists that's coming out that, you know, uh, you know, DJ monitors, one of them or whatever, where, you know, there's like little boxes that will actually read it and report directly oh, to wow. the pros. Yeah. But that's still being adopted around the world. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's, that's essentially it. So so how big, so if we're going back to this pie chart, you know, I'm, I'm talking like, all right, so we got streams, we got downloads, we got neighboring rights from, you know, clubs outside the US that are like, you know, tracking this stuff and that goes to the label. Because I'm assuming, you know, you don't, uh, Dirty Bird, Higher Ground, uh, are you representing publishing as well? Or is that separate? And you're nodding yes, Darren. Talk to me about the publishing component. Um, so we we have a publishing company too. So usually um, when we sign a record, um, we will sign the publishing side of it too, unless they already have an exclusive deal. Okay. Um, Gotcha. And then we have a few other artists that we control their publishing as well as so on a grander scale. Um, You know what I mean? So it's either by by tracks uh, on level or we'll control an artist level for their publishing or writers. Yeah. It's basically the same, same type of structure for us. I mean, um i think like generally we like to control the publishing if we can and it's it's actually very advantageous especially for you know smaller more up-and-coming producers particularly from a sync licensing perspective because Mm -hmm. you know if you control both the master and the publishing it's just way easier to get things pitched and approved and you know on screen for tv film advertisement whatever it is Mm -hmm. um but but yeah in general like you know we look we look to you know administer people's publishing if we can um but you know if it's a larger producer oftentimes they're you know they're already working with their own deals and their own publishing company um and that's a whole other ecosystem sure and i'd love a little clarity you know whatever you're able to reveal i don't know if your deals are pretty standardized uh or custom but um you mentioned sam just now uh, we admin the publishing. Are you so break down how the how most of your deals are working with your artists, with your producers? Um, are you owning the publishing or are you just adminning the publishing? And similarly on the record side, um, are you doing a licensing deal with your artists or are you owning the masters in uh, perpetuity? Um, for us, usually we we have very fair artists driven deals. So we are generally signing licensing type deals for a specific term amount. Um, You know, I would say like our standard is probably like a 25 or a 30 year term. Um, You know, we're, you know, a perk. I mean, it depends. It really depends on, you know, where we're at with the artist, you know, I mean, I think for higher ground specifically, um, you know, I, I'm like, I like to sign like more than one master, like sometimes, I mean, there's a sing you can, you could just sign one single if you wanted to, but mm-hmm. I mean, I find generally that it's, it actually really helps an artist if you have, you know, a legal framework to work from that, that allows you to release more than one master because, you know, within this kind of general, you know, just the vibe of the market right now, you know, and what editors want and what's going to get you more streams down the line. And also just looking at it from an artist development perspective, which is particularly like my interest and my expertise, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that really allows you to like really build with an artist rather Mm -hmm. than just have a one and done and then wipe your hands. That's it. Um, So yeah, uh, I would say generally it's a 50-50 licensing type structure for a set amount of, for a set term. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then if, if we're controlling the publishing, you know, I wouldn't say we own it. We, we just kind of collect the royalties, you know, and, and it, that's what I mean by administer. Yeah. Um, and then usually we do own like a, a portion of the publishing royalties. Got it. Um, but like usually that's not even, it's like, it's literally it's co-publishing. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, it's not even usually like 50, 50, it's like, we'll take like 30 or something like that, sure. you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely very fair for artists. Um, yeah, no, they're absolutely. dealing with a lot, a lot, you know, a lot more difficult structures when you get into, I mean, even other indies aren't that fair, you know? Um, absolutely. Uh, Darren, talk to me about Dirty Bird's structure of, of most of your deals. I mean, very, very similar, right? Okay. Um, the only thing I'll add, it's, you know, yeah, sometimes we'll do some multiple, um, multiple master deals, but another thing that's unique to this world, that it actually benefits the artist. And actually the label, if it's on other labels, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. Yeah, it's like, hey, I have, if I'm an artist and I have a song on just Dirty Bird, okay, that's cool. Or just Higher Ground, okay, that's cool. But if I have a song on Dirty Bird and Higher Ground, my value both as a performer, a DJ, and signing the other labels goes up. And then us, Dirty Bird and Higher Ground, we have, hey, this artist is on this. So it's not like a the typical major label again a kind of genre agnostic type thing where it's like okay we're signing you to this 10 track 15 you know year deal only mm-hmm. can be on columbia records and that's it you can't go anywhere else right for mm-hmm. us it's like well actually no we want you to put a record on a higher ground because then you're going to reach their fans and they're going to know about us your records on dirty bird that's so cool. it, it is one of those unique situations where that's why we sign, you know, majority of the times are kind of single based where it's like, hey, uh, we like this song. It fits our record. It fits our record label. We'll sign it for just this one. We'll put marketing and PR and all this stuff into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no commitments outside of that. Unless we, unless we get into an album, right? Where then it's like, okay, we want to sign an album. We really believe in this artist. Let's work on an album with multiple singles and maybe we'll have a writer first refusal or something. But for the most part, for our world, it's very kind of single focus for the dance floor type thing. Cool. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Just just Go quickly ahead. echoing that. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Darren, because I feel like it's actually like one of the the sticking points that kind of like separates like the dance music world from like any other market or business or whatever Mm -hmm. there's just this general like spirit of collaboration and just openness about it that reflects not just like within the music and the culture and just like you know how people engage with it and the events and everything but also like within the way we do business like i rarely will sign like an exclusive deal i mean on mad decent with a with some of my bigger artists that's a different story because these are album more album kind of focused artists but when it comes to like higher ground you know, like it actually adds a lot of value and and an artist need to be releasing on a, mu- a multitude of different labels to kind of showcase their versatility as an artist and as a producer, you know? So there's only, it, it, there's only, you know, benefits that come from that. And so these are largely non-exclusive deals that we're signing. Mm-hmm. So cool. So let's talk marketing. Um, how do you approach uh, marketing? Let's let's first start with kind of a, a newer artist that you're signing and it's their single. Like, how do you go about, I don't know if you consider it like breaking an artist. And um, well, let's even go a little bit before that. And, and Sam, I know you specialize in A&R as well. Like, mm-hmm. when are you going to decide first if you're going to sign a single? What are you looking for in that? um capacity and then when you're thinking about taking it to the next stage how are you going to approach marketing that single from this new artist Hmm, good question um for me there's kind of like a two-pronged answer like on the one hand and it kind of also probably like reflects like the type of music that i work with and i sign at higher ground Mm -hmm. like on the one hand there are these larger commercial records from bigger producers that have a framework and a career to build that's already there you know so you're you're basically building from an existing kind of like framework of success so for me like how i approach that is largely i want to work with artists that have a track or are making music that sounds a little bit different than something that they've done in the past you know like i'm not really looking to sign like you know uh, another tech house track from your standard tech house producer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's just not really something I'm interested in because it's not really interesting to me and it's not really going to set us apart as a label. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't really, I mean, further into marketing, there's not much I can do with that, you know? So 
for example, if I get a big a big sounding record that sounds different than you know the the catalog of this artist that you know um, you know the, the history of the catalog of this artist, then you know maybe I'll start working on it, and then you know I kind of use that as kind of a, a jumping point for the marketing of the record, you know. And I think mm-hmm. like this kind of goes back a lot to the live conversations that we were having. Mm-hmm. I think you know, especially with like, you know, the advent of, you know, social media and TikTok and everything, you know, I think like people are engaging with live clips and, you know, um, like, you know, seeing this music being played live and the react crowd reactions to this music being played live, not just in an actual physical live like capacity, but actually like viewing it on their screens, you know? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. largely we look for live content for, you know, to promote the record, um, you know, like a big performance where, you know, another DJ has played it and you just collect all of that and create assets that are, you know, promoting the record. Um, I think that's like a big marketing tactic that we've really been leaning on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then like back to my the other prong, I think um, for like a younger, newer artist, yeah. for me, like I'm a very active a and I know that there's a lot of A&Rs who just get records and then they just sign them and then they put them out. I like probably used to do that like when I was just starting out because you kind of you kind of have to start somewhere. <laughs> um, but like, you know, over the years, as I've really like dug deep into like what A&R is and how it works in this in this, you know, culture, um, you know, I've become much more active in the way that I approach it. And, you know, when I talk about active, I'm talking about, you know, what do you need to make better music? You know, like, you know, sometimes I'll start working with an artist and they'll send me some ideas and I'll be like, Oh, these are great. Like, have you thought about going in with this producer? You know, what do you need? A lot of times I describe it as like, okay, the music's at 70%, 65%, 80%. What can we do to get this to get over that 100% finish line? You know? Mm -hmm. So that could be a range of things, features, collaborations, engineers, mastering engineers, you know, co-producers, additional producers, whatever it is. Um, So I really like try to work with them in a more active way, you know, in the studio. Uh, And so I think like from, from that point, you know, you kind of have to get to a place where you're like, okay, this sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) And this is like, you know, like, you know, sounding good enough to actually prepare for release. Then I think, you know, there's a lot of strategies you can employ for marketing. I mean, I think this is where press still kind of comes in handy. Um, It's kind of like a, a, you know, difficult sticking point at the moment within music Uh, in general is just like the benefit of press. But I think for newer artists, press actually really can help because it kind of gets the vision across. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think, again, like goes back to the live thing, seeding it to bigger artists having them play your tracks out, you know, people start asking, who is this person who made this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think there's that kind of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of crossover between the two, but there's, you kind of have to approach them from a different angle based on where you're at in your career. Um, When you're looking to sign a new producer, a new artist, um, just for clarity, are you using those terms interchangeably producer and artist? Are we, or or do you differentiate between a producer and an artist when you're signing someone to your label? (laughs) Like, yes, like it it is. It's weirdly interchangeable in our business. (laughs) (laughs) Producers equal artists, but like, yeah, I mean, but I'm actually not probably because from my perspective, like an artist is something on its own, especially nowadays. Um, So producers aren't always artists and vice versa. Okay. But Diplo's both. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> okay. And then, okay. Got it. So, um, so anyway, when you're looking to sign <laughs> someone, <laughs> uh, uh, are you, are you looking like it is, uh, you know, I, I, let me just compare it to like, you know, a major, not in the dance realm or the electronic realm when they're, they're not going to sign an artist these days that isn't already established, isn't, you know, have, they're not even looking at an artist that doesn't even have probably a million monthly listeners or whatever, you know, so like, or isn't tr- going viral on TikTok. Do you have a threshold? Do you care about what they've established in the market already? Or what do you look for in a new signee when you're considering somebody? Um, I think, you know what, I think what I look for more than anything nowadays is authenticity, period. Like, honestly, I feel like 
you know, we've gone through so many different phases of this, you know, like when social media and Instagram blew up, blew up, it was like, oh, how many followers do they have? Blah, blah, blah. Then right. TikTok blew up, you know, and like, oh, do they have viral shit? You know, blah, 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 blah. Then it's like, you know, now I feel like we we're almost like post TikTok, post social media, you know, mm-hmm. like, yes, it's still important. TikTok, very important. But it's weird because I think, you know, especially with Gen Z and these younger kids, they can just see right through all that, you know? So it's actually not about like how many followers or how much engagement you have, or, you know, if you're big on TikTok or if you've had hits, I think what really is, you know, a testament to, you know, a successful career and a career that has longevity is just this kind of having it come from an authentic place. I think, you know, when you get really good as an A&R, you can hear that in the music. And then I think if you're good as a marketer, you can see that through, you know, the marketing techniques and and the image and the brand that the artist has created, you know? So for me, it's kind of this intangible concept that you could just almost like sniff out after a while. Cool. Mm-hmm. Darren, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on, on all of this, especially yeah. marketing. I mean, I think it's interesting because again, we're the genre agnostic of dance music. It's, it's kind of, we are, it's democratized in terms of the A&R process a bit. Like we get, you know, several hundred demos a week. Like we have, either people send them directly to me, like more established artists, but then we also have the the demo folder where people can just upload music. And we literally, if we like a song, we do not even look at their spot. I mean, like we, and we usually, we can tell, I mean, you kind of get it. And Sam's probably like this too. It's like, you can probably tell when, you know, we've been doing this for so long. You can tell within the first couple beats, if you really even need to listen much longer, especially as many demos as we get. But if we like something and we're like, you know what, this fits our label, this is great let's let's sign it right like that's that's the beauty of we're not trying to sign these big long artist deals and like oh you know and like you said a lot of the bigger artists tend to be modest streaming right so we Mm -hmm. can't even like put actually put that value on it so for us it's like you know what this really fits our brand it's going to crush the dance floor djs are going to like it so you know that's it and honestly my favorite part of the job and i got to do this a couple times this week is i get to send an email to just some nobody and just say hey we love to, we, and I say no, <laughs> I don't mean that, but you know what I mean? It's like, we want to sign your record for Dirty Bird and like just the excitement. And like, that is literally my favorite part of the job. <laughs> and um, because it's like, and that's it. And it's not like, hey, you know what? Come on in. We got to let's, let's do analysis, get your manager. It's just like, yo, we think this record's great. We can, we want to put it out. Um, and then in terms of marketing, I mean, you know, me and Sam are very lucky and like he has Diplo and I have Claude Von Stroke or we can be like, go play this record. Right. And then they can go test it out for a sold out show or a festival with 15,000 people. And they'll be like, Claude will be like, it doesn't work or this thing crushed huh. it. Right. Like, the thing I always say is like, I always, I always said is like, I'll know it's a good record when I get a text message at like 3.30 in the morning from Claude going, <laughs> find this record, you know what I mean? So like, that's when you know, that's when I know, all right, yeah. I, it's, it's fucking great. So um, but that's kind of like, we're kind of fortunate in that way where it's like, it's it's different, our signing process. And then, you know, the to Sam's point, it's, you know, DJ promos are a huge thing on it. And kind of DJ promos. Oh, so like getting out to other DJs. So I'm going to send my Dirty Bird record to Diplo. I want Diplo to play it. Or I want, you know, the big DJs to play it. And we have a Dirty Bird, What you know, kind of just how do you market it, whether it be a new or established artist. We have what's called our big idea meetings where we literally get our, when we sign a record and it's going to come out, we invite the artists and if they, if they have a manager. And then we get everyone from our sales team, our marketing team, our merch team, our strategist, whatever, into the same room, like a half hour, just like, okay, tell us about the song. Mm. What's, what do you want out of it? Like, what's your vision for it? Um, and then, and then it's our job of all our departments to kind of like, okay, like how can we execute what that is? And like, maybe this, you know, maybe this has a catchy vocal hook that will really be good for TikTok. So maybe we'll do an influencer campaign or, you know, this record's really blowing up with like the clubs, let's get it to as many DJs and events promo campaign or, you know, maybe we need to make a shorter version and send it to more streaming for maybe it has a chance to get a crossover on a radio. But the idea is, is like, you know, we have our things the way we do things, but it also comes from the artist input as well. That's why it's like, tell us what you, what, you know, what is. And, and I think, you know, our job is to tell the story of a record. And I, I think that is any genre. I mean, 
saying that's like, hey, my song's out now. Here's my Tone Den link and a million different places you can buy it is is mm-hmm. stupid. It's like, mm-hmm. tell a story of like, take a picture of your amp and like why you use right. it, whatever, or tell a, even if it's something that has nothing to do with music in general. But I think in in the way our culture is now, people want to relate to things more than they want to be sold something. So it's like, you know, hey, you know what? I put all this blood, sweat, and tears, and I'm finally on with this label that I've wanted to be on forever. And yeah. this was the very first time. You know what I mean? I think that has a lot more weight. And I and people are gonna go find, you know, whether they use Spotify or whatever, they're not gonna click the link to go listen to it. Like if I hear a story about how this record came to be and I connect in a little bit, I'm just gonna go to where I listen to, which is Spotify, and look it up, and I'm gonna listen to it on my platform, or I'm gonna go to my record store and try to find the vinyl or whatever. And I think for us, that's the the kind of key thing is what is the story to tell and how are we going to tell it? Um, whether through visual animations or stories or press or, or through other DJs, whatever. So that's kind of the most important thing for us. I, I'm curious. I mean, that's a similar sentiment that I do hear from every other label and every other genre, like telling the story of the artist and even managers are talking about that. And like, that's, that's key and crucial. I get that. I, I guess I'm, curious when you guys are only signing singles uh and if the focus is like getting these songs played in the club um why does it matter what the story is behind the song if the song works in the club it works if you get that text at 3 30 in the morning it worked what does it matter i guess if your intentions are we're just signing a song here a song there why do you care if that artist builds a fan base or if there's a story that somebody can latch onto behind that song well it's unlike radio where you turn on the radio and you see what song is playing that doesn't exist in the club so you do kind of have to, you know, I mean, yeah, they might hear it. They might go out and they might hear it. It might not even be on Shazam yet. They don't really know what that is. Okay. So, you know, and you just kind of, you know, the the 15 second, um, you know, attention span, it's, you still want to push content out there. And I hate that word content, but, you know, you still got to push that content out there to our fans to keep, to, to keep relevant, um, to keep that out there. So, um, yeah. Okay. Sam, what do you, what do you have to say about that? Um, I, I mean, I think, I feel like on the one hand, there are records and there are like big singles that are just like viral, big, massive, you know, hits, and then they're just going to do their thing. And if you get one, like amazing, you know, and some of them are like these cheeky, I mean, I think there's this like, for example, like, you know, musically in dance music, there's been this massive trend over the last couple of years for these like big sample heavy house records that are like big monstrous sounding records with this super catchy hook that probably came from a record in the 90s or something like that Hmm. that you you know you completely forgot about but you're like raging and then you know it's this kind of classic thing and then you hear the sample you're like oh my god i love this song like blah 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 like and a lot of those have blown up and are massive Hmm. you know records and success on streaming on downloads on everything so you know you get those and i i mean i think you know yeah, I mean, you could tell the story about those records. I don't think it's as important because they're just kind of, they are what they are, period. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what I was talking before about the the younger guy or, the, you know, mm-hmm. the younger girl who's, you know, really hustling and kind of like comes from the super like, you know, authentic, amazing place. You know, I think it is really important, you know, uh, when it comes to like creating longevity in their career to somehow get across, you know, their their story, you know, their the narrative. Or how, I mean, I look at it like, I mean, again, that from an A&R perspective, like there's like the narrative within the actual music and then there's the narrative within the marketing and then within the artist's like trajectory, you know? So you kind of have to like make them both make sense with each other. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, if you're looking from like a more serious perspective, you know, like if you're actually taking music, dance music seriously, which, you know, both Darren and I are, you know, um, and all the people in our industry are like, you kind of have to think about, you know, how, how are, am I going to make this last? You know, how mm-hmm. are people going to understand where I'm coming from and what I'm making and mm-hmm. how does that relate to me and, you know, what I'm putting out there in the world as my image, as my brand, you know? Um, so that can happen a lot of different ways. I know I'm kind of speaking abstractly, but, yeah. you know, I do kind of believe that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, recent uh, examples that you would like to share of some of your younger artists or artists that are kind of newer to the label or even newer to the scene uh, and just kind of 
their approach that might have been done a little bit more creatively or a little bit differently, something that is kind of exciting you uh, within the last couple of years of kind of where this scene is going, or maybe maybe something that another artist listening to this right now, another producer listening to this right now, could take as inspiration to kind of maybe how to approach the their career. Um. Yeah, I. Hmm. What comes to mind, actually, after I was just talking about what I was just saying, yeah. uh, is this artist that I work with, Azeka um, Ali. She's uh, she's been one of our one of you know the success stories from of a new artist um, and a mm -hmm. new producer that I'm really proud of. Um, and I think it's an, an interesting it's an interesting thing that kind of reflects this like you know larger like you know uh, sample heavy kind of like big house record trend, but mm -hmm. that also you know, has roots in this more serious thing. Like sh when she came to me, she pitched me this record that had a Cassie, me and you sample in it. And like, you know, like, dun, 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 dun. you know what I mean? Like everyone knows that song. And she kind of reworked it into this like amazing epic, like, you know, melodic, like banger of a record. Huh. And yeah. I heard it and I was like, oh my God, this is sick. Like, this is actually like, you know, one of these sample heavy records that I'm not tired of listening to. So yeah. we went ahead and we just put it out there. You know, we, she didn't have any Spotify profile. She had nothing. I just loved the record. And I was like, this girl can make music like period. I just hear it. So cool. we put it out there. It did really well. We, again, like back to what I was saying about the live marketing tactics, everyone was playing this in their sets, you know, throughout the summer, last summer, they were like, you know, and everyone wanted to hear it because, you know, everyone recognized that Cassie mean you sample, but then there was also, but it was also layered on top of this really innovative production style that she was doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So we followed up later that year in the fall with a really smart, very serious, very much kind of like, you know, uh, setting the tone for what was to come mm. uh, for her and her releases. And I think, you know, we kind of translated the success of this kind of like, quote unquote, viral hit over the mm -hmm. summer to really like, you know, to really kind of like lead people into what she actually was about. Mm. Um, and cool. I'm really proud of it because that that EP did even better than the sample sample heavy track. And I think people really like understood what she was about. And now she's playing everywhere and we have another yeah. EP coming and all that. <laughs> Killer, I love yeah. it. Uh, Darren, do you have any uh, recent stories you'd like to yeah, share? Yeah, I guess what comes to mind is there's this kid named Corti, um, Brazil. And I mean, one, one thing I always recommend producers is don't send a record saying, uh, send me what you think is a Dirty Bird record. Like, I think we're <laughs> looking for something that's completely different. And so this kid, I mean, now he's not a kid anymore. Like four or five years ago, he was 17 at the time. Again, he sent in that random democratized demo pile. And we listened to it and it was it was nothing like we'd ever heard before. And mm -hmm. we're like, it was one of those 3 a.m. text type things. And it's like, sign this record. And then he sent another one and we're like, oh my God, this like we want everything that you're sending. He was it turns out he was only 17. He's from Brazil, didn't speak a lick of English. Those were the very first records he ever made. He just sent them in. Wow. Now we're putting his first debut album out. It's been five years now. We're putting his first debut album out in October. We started with like, we had him, we flew him out like when he was like 18, had to have a chaperone with his dad because we wanted him to play our <laughs> festival. We, we, sub, we, we, you know, we could, could do his publishing. We sub-licensed, uh, he started a record label that we help him distribute. Um, but it just came from like, it was so unique and genuine, but it fit our brand. It was, you know mm. what I mean? So I think that, you know, I think Sam touched on it. It's like what you're looking for. You want something mm -hmm. that's unique. And it's like, I don't want to hear another Dirty Bird record. We've done that for 20 years. Like, I want to hear something that, you know, and, you know, I think our labels are in the sense that we can, we are fortunate enough to, we can expand. We don't, we're not in a box, you know, anymore mm -hmm. where we can yeah. feel it more. You know, we don't, we can take those risks. Whereas like another label that's starting out, it's like, well, what, the, what, what, this doesn't make sense. So mm -hmm. yeah, so I'm seeing now, you know, he's, he, like I said, we're putting his debut album out in October and just to watch oh. this, his, how he's grown, he's touring the U S and Europe and it, it's just great to see. And, and, you know, for me, especially, like I said, I used to be DJ, but I don't anymore, but be living vicariously through that. And like, yeah. like still me, I get to have that part of it is really, really good. So cool. 
Amazing. Well, Darren, Sam, thank you guys. This has been uh, so informative and educational and helpful and inspiring. And uh, I know that everyone listening to this right now, um, whether they are, uh, you know, veterans of the dance music space or they're like me, and this is my introduction to a lot of the behind the scenes <laughs> of, uh, of how this Ari, you just need to go to a rave. Just go to a rave. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm in, man. You, 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 <laughs> you can come me in the, the right direction, please. I'm coming along. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, I have one final question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. Um, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Um, whoever has something they want, to, you can take it away. I mean, uh, for me, okay. I mean, like, I've been I've been doing this full time for going on. 25 years now like i'm in the music business you know i started a label i ran a dsp i ran a distributor and i've been with dirty bird now and um now i'm helping empire dance and launch that division so for me like i get to wake up and listen to music and be part of this <laughs> and as long as i can get on the stage and drink the riders i'm i'm cool i made it you know what i mean <laughs> amazing <laughs> killer um, yeah i think uh I think for me, it would just kind of be like carving your own path, you know? I mean, I think like, you know, um, there's no, I think like, it's also just about like, you know, realizing like, you know, what is new and what is happening in this market and in this business and and not being like afraid of that, but just like embracing it, you know, and just evolving with it um, and, and kind of like, you know, making your own way within that ever kind of changing landscape. I think for me, that's what it means. Cool. Sam Chiara, Darren Delgado, thank you guys so much. It's great. Thanks, Ari. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ari. Appreciate Thanks, it. Peace. Cheers. Today's episode was edited by Mikey Evans with music by Brassroots District and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. So it is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. Uh-huh.